The Utah Utes are set to take on the Arizona State Sun Devils this Saturday as they get Pac-12 play underway. But how does Herm Edwards firing impact this game? And will the Sun Devils under a new head coach, interim head coach, be able to rally and get a win? We're talking about it on today's episode of Locked on Utes. You are Locked on Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Lockdown News your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Want to take a second and thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College. Terms and conditions may apply. On today's show, guys, we're going to be diving into how this Utah team is going to go into Arizona State, how this the change at head coach affects them. you got an interim head coach coming in, in Sean Aguino, and it's going to be an interesting matchup. And in order to break down, we got to bring on our resident expert for all things Pac-12. It's Spencer McLaughlin, host of the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. And Spencer, this is an interesting game, right? Because you get the first game of Pac-12 play. Utah is their first road game of Pac-12 play as well. But this Arizona State team is just completely in limbo. So there's been some people talking about, well, hey, you know, maybe Herm's message grew stale. Maybe that's why they fell to Eastern Michigan. Maybe that now they'll have a new head coach. They'll come out inspired, come out with a fight. Now things are going to change. And I do think things are going to change. I just think it's going to be in a negative way. I don't see this being a very competitive game at the moment. I think this Utah team is a lot better than the Sun Devils. And I think this Utah team does something extremely well, which was the fatal flaw of Arizona State we saw last weekend. They run the ball. The Utes are one of the best rushing teams in the Pac-12. And when you're talking about the Sun Devils run defense, I mean, Eastern Michigan had a back over 258 yards and in total ran for 305 yards on Arizona State. So I just, I feel very good about the Utes in this matchup a week out. Or a couple of days out from it, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, and I think Utes fans should feel good about it. Over a two-touchdown favorite on the road, that's usually a good indicator that you have the better team going into it and you're catching Arizona State in a transitionary phase. Now, the interim coach situation, especially at the college level, only goes one of two ways. And in my experience, there is no in-between. Either these guys buy in, to what the new coach is saying and find an extra gear and look like a different team than the one that led to the circumstances for the previous coach, Herm Edwards, to be fired, which is what you saw at Washington State last year, right? Yep. That whole chaotic thing with Nick Rolovich takes place, you know, whatever. Dickert comes in, he's the interim head coach, and Washington State was a darn good football team. They were solid. They look like they're going to be a good team this year. And Jake Dickert is now their head coach. It's either that or it's what happened at USC with Dante Williams. Clay Helton gets fired and the guys say, we're metaphorically punting on the season. I don't think there's a lot of in-between. I, I, I really don't. Washington, same thing. Jimmy Lake, it came off the rails. Interim coach comes in. And it was a disaster through and through. They get routed by Washington State. The one game you think the Huskies would have gotten up for in 2021 after Jimmy Lake had been fired as the head coach would be the Apple Cup against the Cougs. And they got blown out on their home field. 
Yeah, they weren't going to make a bowl game regardless, but the fact that, that that took place is just the epitome of what I'm talking about. It's only one of two ways, and I'm inclined to think ASU is going to go in the downward d- direction because of the lack of talent on, on their roster. They brought in players with the transfer portal, but they're still trying to mesh, and now they've got a different voice and you know maybe some schematic elements will change on, on either side of the ball to some degree, but I think what you have is an Arizona state team that brought in a bunch of transfers, but seemingly is not as talented as they were a year ago. You know, even with the the people they've replaced, thanks to the transfer portal, I think Utah feels supremely confident going into this game. You touched on that stat about Eastern Michigan running the ball. The game ended, and it was already essentially over at this point, a 10-point lead with, uh, you know, 20 or a minute and 25 or so to go. But they had a third and 18. They just call a simple handoff. They run 25 yards for the first down, go kneel out the clock. That was the tell-all of the game, is the Eagles ran the ball, pretty sure they're the Eagles, whenever they wanted to. And now you look up and say, well, if you couldn't stop a team out of the Mac. We all love some Tuesday night, Wednesday night Mac-tion. Mac-tion. Yeah, everybody loves a little Mac-tion. But if ASU can't stop that, at I don't home. know how they're. At I home. don't know how they're stopping the Utes on the ground. Yeah, at home mm-hmm. too, right? Same field. And I almost think it's worse that that loss took place a week ago and it was on on their home field. If it had been a road loss, they would never play that team on on the road. You pay that school to to come in, unfortunately for ASU, beat you in Tempe. (laughs) But if that had happened on the road and then you fire your coach and you have an interim coming in, then students would show up and fans would come to the game with some energy of, okay, we got to help the new coach. We got to, you know, bring it and such because they didn't have this advantage here. That's not what happened. You were sending students and fans home early from that game for the wrong reason. And I think that creates a completely different vibe of negativity around a program. 100%. I think everything you talked about there, just the different ways that an interim coach can go. And I think in coach Aguino's case, like he's going to come in. And I do think these guys will be motivated and fired up to play for him, at least at the start. But when you're just in a bad position, I feel like when the score starts, obviously zero to zero, you're like, you're feeling good. You're still in the game. Everything's going well. But then that first drive, I mean, I could see something where this Utah team just, they're frustrated by maybe they didn't get off to a great start versus San Diego state. It took a while for them to get going much to the frustration of a lot of people throughout that one. And I think that was one where Utah is kind of like, all right, let's go into this game. Let's get back to what we do. Let's be a dominant running team. And if they run the ball down the throats of the Sun Devils, I think on the very first drive, I just think that's going to be really demoralizing for them. And that's where I think we'll see this team fold. I think this is going to be a team where if they get off to good starts, that being the Sun Devils, I think they'll be able to hang with some teams in the Pac-12. But I think the upper teams, they're just, once they get down, I just don't think they're going to be able to hang in there and quit. And I mean, even a guy like Emory Jones, I mean, he's a talented quarterback, but I mean, 20 for 32 this past week, 182 yards, but only averaged five yards of throw. And I mean, only a QBR 32 too. So it's like, what are you getting in Emory as well? He's a total roller coaster guy. And he's the kind of guy too. I think when his team falls behind, he's going to try to press, makes mistakes. He likes to run with the ball, which can be a little risky as well. I mean, we saw him fumble already earlier in the season versus Northern Arizona. And this Utah defensive line is really peaking at the right time. They were constantly in the backfield versus San Diego state. So I just think this roster is in for, like you mentioned, I think it's probably going to be the latter being the folding. Like we saw last year at USC, just because of 
that position as well. But you kind of mentioned some of those pieces in terms of the talent as well, too. Where do you feel like, if anywhere, this ASU team could give the Utes some issues? Good question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Ex Valade, the running back, is, is their best offensive weapon. But I don't know how easily they're going to be able to get him going. Because what you alluded to correctly is the struggles of Emory Jones so far. And when you see him complete passes or make plays with his legs, you say, oh, that's why he was a high four-star recruit. Like, that's a that's a physically talented guy. And he's capable of winning football games. He's done so before in his career. And he's never been necessarily the, the driving force of an offense. But he cannot be the reason your offense doesn't move the ball. But he can also be the reason... Your offense is is sluggish a, a bit because the passing game for ASU just hasn't been there. It hasn't been crisp, and Exvalade has you know done a nice job of of breaking some big runs and, and statistically is you know been, been all right, been more than serviceable. That that's not what I see as a weakness. But if Utah, that has one of the best front sevens in the Pac-12 year in year out, is able to load the box and put seven there and say Emory Jones, let's see if you can form a relationship with these receivers. That's a, that's a recipe for success. If I'm Utah, because I haven't seen the evidence so far really against any team, but NAU, which was also a slow start for Arizona state. Yes. I haven't seen the evidence anywhere to indicate that Emory Jones can sling the ball around the field with, with the weapons that he has for 300 plus yards, two touchdowns, no picks. And so if I'm if I'm the Utes and their defensive coordinator, whose name is eluding me right Morgan now, Scott, but yeah, yeah, that's something you have to know, and I should know, but don't have to. There's a distinct difference. There's a lot anyway. of, I mean, it's a conference of twelve teams. It's a lot of coordinators. Exactly, it is. A, it is a lot of coordinators. You know, coach, coordinator, coordinator. Like that's that's thirty six. I think I've probably got eighteen to twenty. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, yeah. um, that'd be a fun thing to do on the show one day. Like okay. and subscribe, Locked On Pac-12, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Shameless plug. So I, I think Arizona State just doesn't have the firepower offensively. And look, maybe they need a different voice in the room, you know, as the head coach. But when you're an interim, and I, I don't know Sean Aguano, I don't know uh, what, what his background is and whether or not he is in a Jake Dickert sort of situation to where he would you know, be interested in having the head coaching job. doesn't seem that way because he's not a major coordinator. It, typically, you promote a position coach. It's just someone who you feel is an adult in the room, who the guys respect, who can run an operation, get out there, play a game, you know, get guys where, where they need to be on and off the field. It seems to me that that's a sort of situation where Aguano is, is now having an increased level of responsibility as the interim head coach. And he has to focus not just on coaching and doing the game planning, but everything else that is involved with being a head coach. And even if it's on an interim basis, he has more logistical responsibilities. And and I don't know if he's going to be in a position where he could put together a winning game plan against a superior Utah team while also taking on the added responsibility of now being the head coach and being responsible for running an entire operation. Yeah, I've 
feel the same way. I mean, it's just a lot. It's an uphill battle when you face such a talented Utah team. And this is, look, Utah might not have Clark Phillips for this game, but it's not one I don't think they need him. JT Broughton, Zamaya Vaughn, all those guys on the outside, they're going to be able to hold up fine against an Arizona State passing attack that just hasn't really been there. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out on Saturday. But one thing that is so exciting about Saturday is we really get Pac-12 play underway across the conference. And we're going to dive into what this conference looks like in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you guys about LinkedIn Talent solutions. These days, every new potential hire can feel like high stakes wager for your small business. You won't be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free guys. I use LinkedIn personally all the time just to network with friends as well as see what else is going on out there in the working world. There are tons of great ready to get to work candidates on LinkedIn. So make sure you guys head over, add your job in the purple hashtag hire frame to your LinkedIn profile and spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions may apply. So Spencer jumping back in and we talked about Utah and look, obviously as a Utah team, I still feel really good about. And the PAC 12 look week one did not go to plan. Oregon, Utah both suffered tough losses. Some of those losses tougher in terms of how close it was two very tough losses in terms of one was like, Oh, you're right there. You're in it. And then the other one being for Oregon was just like, Oh, you just get blown out like that. Don't even look like you belong on the field. It's a tough one to swallow. But then we go the last two weeks, you get two nice wins against ranked big 10 teams. You get uh, Washington state going in and beating Wisconsin, as well as this Washington team hosting Michigan State Spartans, one of the hottest teams in college football off of last season, and they get a win as well. So, look, there are still going to be teams like your Arizona States that we don't expect much from this year, obviously Colorado being in that same category. But some of the top teams in the conferences, it feels like there's a couple surprises as well. I think it's going to be a really fun year of Pac-12 play. I agree. It's off to a, a really dazzling start. I think it's impressive that right now, the Pac-12's got four teams in the top 25. There, there was a very plausible scenario where at this point in the season, it was one or two. Mm-hmm. And to have four and arguably should be five. Yes. Now, I think I understand why voters did not give Washington State the respect that many probably feel they deserve. I think they do, because when you look at the, the numbers of the game at, at Camp Randall against Wisconsin, the Badgers played like the better team, but they didn't execute like it. And in critical moments, Washington State made the plays that mattered and forced a turnover at the end and ran out the clock and they got out of there with a win. And so I understand that the the AP voters are probably looking at that saying, well, you know, Washington State got a win, but felt a little more fluky than a real determining factor. And I, I get that. But at the same time, if you go in, I don't care what it looks like. You go into Camp Randall, yes, 19th ranked team, you get that win, and you're 3-0 and in conference play, man, like you, you, you should be there. And Washington State is, is knocking on the door, so is Oregon State, and they could certainly get there throughout the course of the season. But just the fact that we're having that conversation, JT, is a great place for the Pac-12 to be. Because from a competitive standpoint, we came into this season, you know, you know Oregon will be good. USC will probably be better, but can USC really be at, you know, that top, top tier level? 
looks like they are, mm-hmm. but you know, Utah, the favorites kind of Utah and, and everybody else is below Utah. Cause a lot of people coming into this year probably saw Oregon as the number two team and Utah was much better than Oregon on the field in, in two matchups a season ago. Yep. But now you look at it and go, well, Michael Panics is a different player for Washington. And that defense is still good, even though they lost two NFL corners who are both playing right now for the Chiefs and Bears, Trent McDuffie, Kyler Gordon. Washington is a top 20 caliber team right now with the way they play. It's not just that Oregon and Washington beat ranked opponents. It's how they beat them. That makes me really excited to see how conference play is going to play out over the course of this 2022 campaign because Washington State is just going to be pesky, right? I don't think they're going to be dominant, but gosh, they look like a good football team defensively, and that's going to keep you in a lot of games. Washington can throw the ball around the field with the best of them in the conference right now. Penix has got remarkable chemistry with his new receivers this year. Utah, we know, is a really good team. USC is playing at a very high level. I don't know how much better USC could have looked uh, at, at this point, save for maybe a better defensive showing against Stanford. And again, they forced the turnovers when they needed to, to their credit. But is that sustainable? Probably not. But it got a little better, a little, not a lot, but I think a little better against Fresno State. But they're winning games. I'm pretty sure USC is 3-0 against the spread this year. And that's because their offense is executing at a high, high level. And you still have Oregon there, who trounced BYU. And then you have Oregon State, who's a team that's been like this. And you and I have talked on Lockdown Pac-12 about the rising stock of the Bees. I've been high on them all offseason, and they're rewarding that praise I gave them so far with two Mountain West wins. They route North Dakota State. Now they get a chance against USC this Saturday. That right there. I didn't even mention UCLA, who's off to a disappointing start with how they've played in their non-conference schedule. They should have had three blowout wins. Instead, they had one and a half blowouts, and that is you know, not something they can feel great about. Colorado's bad. They're the worst team in the Pac-12 right now. Everybody knows that. I think most of us kind of expected that coming in. But that right there is like seven teams that I can look at and go, that could be an eight-win team. That could be a nine-win team. That could be a 10-win team if everything goes right. And that is not how most people were looking at the conference and feeling coming into this year. And I just don't think there's a lot of cupcakes, right? Who are your, who who are the easiest teams to beat in the PAC 12, right? Colorado, obviously. Absolutely. I think Cal's probably down there at at the bottom. They're off to a two and one start, but they were unimpressive against a middling mountain West team in UNLV at home who was driving for the win. And you know, the Cal defense made a stop because that's what the Cal defense does. But that offense is still not there. That's why they didn't get it done to pull the upset at Notre Dame. And then Arizona is down there at the bottom. Arizona State as well. They'll probably be, uh, gosh, they could lose every other game. They probably won't lose every game. You know, they, they're not winning more than three, though, right? They're one and two right now. They're not, they're not winning more than three. Colorado's not winning more than two. And they probably only win one or zero, right? But that, that bottom three teams above those two, that are bottoming out and have coaching problems, Arizona, Cal, Stanford. I've watched David Shaw win a lot of football games. The Cal defense is nasty. And Arizona, Arizona and Cal is one of the most interesting games to Pac-12 this week. Great barometer for both teams. I mean, the the feeling of being 3-1 and one for either school with a Pac-12 win, huge. Would be absolutely huge and can change their confidence going forward. There's so much to watch 
throughout the course of the season. And there's so many questions left to answer that all we can do is sit back, enjoy it, and then come on here and analyze what we're seeing. You're right. There is so much fun. And, you know, you talk about all those teams with the potential to do the right things. And I think there might be some people listening who are like, I don't know if Washington or some of these other teams have the potential to do it. Well, you know, one team that no one thought had the potential to go on and win the Pac-12 at this point last year? Utah Utes, one and two at the time, lost to BYU, Cam Rising coming in at quarterback, who's this dude, last time we saw him, he's literally the last play we saw outside of this, look, he showed potential for San Diego State, but the last time we saw him start a game was versus, I believe it was USC into 2020 COVID short season, and he threw an interception and then got hurt after that, so it was like, what is this Utah team going to be, then they go on and do that, so a lot of fun teams that could really make this Pac-12 race interesting, hey, I'll even call myself out, Spencer, on your show, I was doubting Michael Penning a lot, I just didn't trust him. I I, I was not a fan that was yeah <laughs> that that was a completely different player to his credit right that takes a lot of work with your receivers not just during practice but outside of it as well his chemistry is there he's making accurate throws his arm looks more lively the offensive line even though i don't believe jackson kirkland's there yet for the huskies their best offensive lineman they've done a great job at, at keeping him upright and he is making a lot of throws. And the, core, the the chemistry he's got with Kalen DeBoer and the offensive staff is evident. And it is clicking really, really fast. And the defense has got a lot of guys. Like, they, they've that wasn't a problem a season ago. And you figure it's not quite as good without those two NFL players there. But there's still a lot of good bodies. They've still recruited at a decent enough level. But defense wasn't their problem a season ago. Right. Even if you take a step back from what they were last year, it was like one of the three best defenses in the Pac-12. Yeah. You know, so if you take a step back from that and it doesn't even look like it's been that dramatic because their secondary has played exceptionally well so far. It's a team that really can, you know, be a a threat to anyone in the Pac-12. And it's just, you know, fascinating to see how this all is going to play out because there are going to be so many big matchups week in and week out that will work to define who's ultimately crowned champion at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, that's Utah doesn't have to go to Washington this year. If they did, I'd be extremely nervous. I don't know if you've ever seen that show key and peel. Like I'd be the sweating meme. Like that's what I would be going. (laughs) I'd be worried. I'd be like, Oh, they saw what they already could do there. So it's going to be fun and interesting to see how Utah is going to make it out. But obviously Utah, not the highest ranked team in the PAC 12. We're about a month away from the big USC game. So we're going to talk about what that game represents and everything that goes into it in just a second. But first want to talk to you guys about bet online, betonline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this week's slate of college football and NFL football. Guys, it's been so great having both sports back, just being able to kick back, relax, or go out and tailgate as well, get back into the games. And if you want to get a little more involved in the action, head over to Bet Online. Or even if you're like, I just enjoy watching football, maybe you want to bet on some other sports. They have MLB. The playoff race is really heating up. We'll see. Go Mariners. Go, go Mariners. Mariners. You, you still plug. got it in. <laughs> Even do MMA, boxing, golf, Bet Online has you covered in a variety of ways. And Spencer, sticking with Bet Online, look, Utah is minus 14 and a half favorites over Arizona State. I feel really good about that. How about you? Yeah, I think that's going to make it in my Pac 12 prime picks, which, uh, you know, thankfully after a sluggish start, JT, I have, uh, have gotten back to back winning weeks to, to get over 500 on, on, on the year. And, I think I'm going to like the Utes in this spot. Would I like it more if it were 13 and a half? I would, because one way to think about that particular number is Utah's a 21 point favorite at home against San Diego State. 
Mm-hmm. Is Arizona State so bad that they're only seven points better at home than San Diego State is on the road? And it's actually six and a half if it's 14 and a half. And I was on the Utes minus 21 last week for the Pac-12 prime picks. And that hit with a 35 to seven drubbing of uh, the Aztecs, whose offense is is pretty abysmal. I'm not that high in Arizona State's either, but the talent pool there is at least more significant. And, and the reason that I have some pause about, you know, firing that number right now and saying, yeah, it will be part of the Pac-12 prime picks. So I'm going to do a little more digging which you know historically doesn't help me at all, but we're just going to do it anyway and pretend, is 14 and a half is quite a bit. And how, how much can Arizona State pull it together with the interim coach? Because that's a big question mark, and it's an unknown. No one can say for sure. Like I said, in college, it goes one of two ways. My inclination is it's going to be USC from last year, and the season's just kind of going to be a wash for for the Sun Devils. But do I know that for sure? Because conference play hasn't even started yet, right? In theory, if Arizona State pulled out a miracle or they com- they became a completely different team, they could contend in the Pac-12 South. Only from the standpoint that conference play hasn't started yet. It's It's not there. And so if you have a Jake Dickert situation, then ASU could be seven and five this year. I think they have enough talent on the roster for that. I thought they'd be six and six before the season, but I also thought they'd beat Eastern Michigan, keep Herm Edwards around and such. Yeah. But their head coach, Sean Aguano, has never been a college head coach before. He's been a high school head coach, but he's never been a college head coach. That to me is... Again, another indicator that it'll be in the latter of the two categories of, yeah, this is just going to be a punt. I don't know if that was the latter or the former from prior, but you know what I'm trying to say. I don't know what what that's going to be. I think I know, but it's the first week, and so it's it's hard to know for sure. The game is in Tempe. Maybe the students will show up and say, we want to root for the new guy because we wanted Herm out. Going to have to wait and see. Very true. It's going to be fun to see what Spencer ends up doing on that. Make sure you guys stay with Locked On Pac-12 for me. Look, we'll have our best big game bets later in the week. But yes, as of right now, I feel very good about Utah at minus 14 and a half. And once, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about USC in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you guys about Intercap Lending. There is a reason no lender helps more families in Utah with their mortgage need needs. Intercap gets deals done. Quick and simple process. Intercap closes loans two weeks faster than the industry average. And though fast is great, the ultimate goal is to create a stress-free home loan process. And that is what Locked On's personal loan officer, Steve Carter, has delivered to hundreds of Locked On listeners so far, including Locked On's founder, David Locke. And let's be honest, if Steve can help keep David on track through the entire process steve can help anyone and though intercap is new to the locked on utes podcast it's not new to assisting customers with all their mortgage needs they've been doing so since 1978 43 years of experience to be exact and steve carter has been providing locked on listeners with the best experience since 2018 intercap is headquartered here in utah but licensed to help with all your mortgage needs in 40 states give steve a call his direct number is 385-885-28 you will not find a more responsive loan officer NMLS number is 190465. So head over to www.intercaplending.com or give Steve a call. So Spencer, that's been talking about Utah versus USC. This was the game of the Pac-12 season. We had it circled on our calendar. We're less than a month away from the big game now. And USC has looked better, I think, than people expected them. It's been impressive just to watch how explosive Lincoln Riley's offense and 
team are going to be. And look, there's still a lot of football to be played until these two teams meet up. But a month out right now, who do you have favored in the matchup? Because I still like the Utes because they're at home, and I feel like this team will be hitting their stride. A lot of the mistakes this Utah team has made, especially against Florida, and even some of the slow starts, is just such easy, correctable, and fixable mistakes. It's not like players performing poorly. It's a guy making a small mental mistake that I feel like as soon as you go back and turn on the film, you're like, oh, I should have done this, and that's not an issue anymore. So I still feel good about this Utah team, especially because it's at Rice Eccles. Yeah, I, I still like the Utes right now, even though USC is playing at a very high level offensively. The defense is still pretty porous, and what they've been capitalizing on so far to keep the other team's point totals low enough to pull away and win by huge margins are turnovers. And I don't trust USC to be able to force two or three or four turnovers against Utah in Salt Lake City. I, I, I don't. And so I think Utah will be favored in that game. I think they should be right now. I'd stick with what I felt going into the year, which is Utah is a better team and they're the more well-rounded team. And, you know, both sides are, are well coached in, in different areas. But I, I just think that that USC team is, is going to be going up against a different challenge when, when they play the Utes in Salt Lake City, it'll be the biggest crowd they've faced on uh, the road all year. Cause I don't think they, Will be the biggest else. one they've actually ever played in front against, honestly, this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it'll be particularly close, and it'll be a hostile environment. Uh, the the home team's always going to have some form of an advantage there. Um, so yeah, right now I, I still feel fine about the Utes against USC. I think Utah is a better team than Florida. They just didn't win on that particular day, yep. but they should have won quite easily, right? It's the Broncos Seahawks situation. Yep. Who's a better team? Well, the Broncos are. They fumbled twice at the one-yard line. Exactly. Utah had two trips inside the five-yard line that resulted in zero combined points. I don't see that happening again. I don't know if that's a hot take, but I'm just not confident that that will take place once again or would if Utah and Florida played uh, you know, in, in another matchup. I don't think that would be possible unless it somehow happened in a bowl game, which would be kind of hilarious. But yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder if that's ever happened in college football. Two non-conference teams play in the – that would be crazy. Play, play in the non-conference slate and then meet later in in a bowl game. I bet you it's happened at some. But anyway, I, I anyway, I digress. I don't think the Utes have any more to worry about than than they did, you know, a, a couple weeks ago when when USC first got things rolling cuz they're going to be able to move the ball and if they can just slow the Trojans offense down just a little, I don't think you have to a lot, but just a little, then Cam Rising and company will be able to put up 34 35 or more points on, on that USC defense, the way Oregon state I think could do uh, this week as well. Yeah. And both teams have some fun matchups before they get there. Looking at USC schedule, you got Oregon state. We talked about, we don't think Arizona state's going to be much, but then you get Washington state as well. So Oregon state and then Washington state, two fun teams that could at least make things interesting. I expect the Trojans to pull it out, but I think both those teams are capable of making them sweat as well. And this is a Utah team that look, they got, you expect them to win this week, get Oregon state at home the week after that Oregon state. I expect Utah to win, but Hey, Utah's one loss in conference play last year was to the Beavers. So be interesting to see how that one works. And we already talked about UCLA having a disappointing non-conference start, but they still have a lot of talent on that team. So they can make it interesting as well. So a couple of fun tests for both these teams coming up and hopefully they're both undefeated at that point, Spencer, because I don't know about you, but I would love to see college game day come to rice Eccles. Yeah, I, I would too. Um, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I got the Beavs winning this weekend. 
Oh, you I'm do. Picking, I'm, okay. I'm picking. I'm I'm picking that upset. I I picked it before the season, and after having watched things played out, I'm I'm going with it again. It's kind of a gut instinct play, but that line. By the way, you nailed that Cal Notre Dame line last week on the on the over under. Without looking at it, unless you have seen it before, in which case this is moot. Uh, what do you think the uh, the USC line is at Oregon State? Let's go with I think so. I was right on with forty last week in the Cal Notre Dame one. So um, I'm gonna go with just because I have a respect for the Trojans' offense. I'm gonna go with fifty three. No, just the 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 line, not not the oh, not the over under. I have I haven't looked I haven't looked at the over yeah. <laughs> over under. I'll look I'll look at it though. But I I, I mentioned this to to understand to get people to realize why why I still feel confident in this particular game is the line yeah. is why. So USC at Oregon State. What I'll do you go, think that What do you I'll think that line with, is? Let's go with seven and a half. You are not bad, my friend. Six I, and a half. But I know USC, what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> US, yeah. USC minus six and a half. I think the Bs are going to get it done. Over under is 71. So they're expecting a shootout. I think that's very fair. Yeah. But that Beavers defense is improved. The USC defense really isn't. And if the Beavers take care of the ball, which is a question mark with Chance Nolan. I think their offense can keep USC's off the field enough and score points to the level where they can win that game. I think the Bees get it done. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch and check out and see if it can come to fruition. And, you know, we appreciate everyone who's made Locked On Utes their first listen every day. But Spencer, do you know where people should go if they're looking for a second listen every day? Uh, Locked on Pac-12, or if you want coverage on the Ducks, Locked on Ducks. But I imagine people on here would be more interested in uh, Locked on Pac-12 YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And, of course, I'm at Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter and at LO underscore Pac-12. JT, my man, it's always uh, always great to come on with you and and talk to the Utes out there. Always great. Appreciate it, my friend. And, hey, the Beavs are able to pull off the upset. You guys remember where you heard it from first. I'll be, taking, a, I'll be taking the victory lap of all <laughs> victory laps. Oh, as you should, my friend. Appreciate you guys for listening in. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as on our podcast feed. Thank you so much and have a great day.